You're listening to The Road to Philanthropy with Gary Cohn, a podcast series on giving and working with nonprofits. This podcast is produced by Painted Rock Advisors, a consulting hub providing services to the philanthropic and nonprofit communities. We bring together your values and wealth with opportunities to do good work and make the world a better place. What can we do to help you? Contact us at paintedrockadvisors at gmail.com. Hi, this is Gary Cohn. Welcome to The Road to Philanthropy, a podcast series on everything in the nonprofit, business, and philanthropic worlds. Today, our guest is Adam Selkowitz. Adam is the chairman of the Board of Governors of Cedar sinai Hospital in Los Angeles. Previously, he was the president and CEO of Lupus LA, where he served for over 20 years in the chairman's seat. Adam has a bachelor's degree from Ithaca College in Drama and Communications and owns his own production company called Waterfall Films, LLC. Adam brings a tremendous amount of experience in nonprofit leadership to our podcast, and we look forward to interviewing him now. Welcome, Adam. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your your business and how you got involved in the, the film industry? Yeah, so I was an actor uh, growing up my, sort of my whole life, and I studied acting in college, and I had a very successful improvisational and sketch comedy group in New York. Uh, we were the official group at Caroline's Comedy Club, and we toured colleges and corporate events, you know, all over the country. And then at a, a certain point, time to try my hand in L.A. So I came out to L.A. in 99 and started my acting career out here. And it's I, I sort of quickly realized that my sweet spot was really more in the producing side. I, I did a lot of voiceovers and things like that. So I had some success, but I felt more comfortable putting the pieces of the puzzle together and being behind the camera. So in 2002, three, we started a company with one of my ex comedy guys. He had written a family friendly script that we went out and raised money for and turned into a feature film. Had some early day success with Netflix and Walmart and things like that. And, and then that sort of turned into more of a, a producing career that's focused now on intellectual property and building packages for film and television. And did you go to school to study this or you? I studied, I was at Ithaca College and I studied, I had a BA in drama, but I also minored in communications and, or almost minored. I didn't quite finish the minor, but I had, and I grew up in a communications family. My dad was in advertising, my brother's in marketing. And so I sort of, I was on kind of both sides anyway. Um, and I think when I produced the comedy group, I realized that that skill set was something I was I was pretty good at. Great, wonderful. You know, my daughter's in the in the business, but she's on the production side of reality TV. So yeah. I asked her about the upcoming strike. She says, "No problem. It should be more business for me." Right. <laughs> it it will. Be. It will. Be. But hopefully, it's short because I think the whole industry, you know, is gonna is gonna take a hit from it. Yeah. And I think people want to work and want to want to do the right thing. So it's always hard when you when you started the, the production company. Did you have a vision of what you wanted it to be or you just kind of kind of moved along? Yeah. You know, I think my vision changed over time. We originally thought that this idea of family friendly, independent films was an area that people weren't focusing on. And we kind of realized that the reason they weren't focusing on it was because the actors um didn't really they wanted to do their family movies 
for big studios and get big paychecks. Right. Independent movies they wanted to win Oscars for. So that was a little bit of a challenge. And then we started working with our own sort of ideas and material. And and that was just not getting a lot of traction. So when we started the intellectual property search and started finding really good articles and books and life rights, that's kind of when things clicked a little bit more. So now we have a little bit more flexibility. We have a little bit more heart to kind of the things we work on because we really get behind the intellectual property that we like. And then it's about finding the right partners and the right writers. And so again, it's that marrying lots of different pieces of the puzzle together, which I, you know, I find that to be the case in the charitable world too. And I feel like my skill sets have really crisscrossed over. And it's one of the reasons that I really stuck with Lupus LA was because I felt like I was gaining a lot of skills that would serve me well in the production world. And Mm -hmm meeting a lot of really great people that would also be great contacts and then vice versa. So I really try to bridge the gap and, and meld together the two, the two careers, if you will. And now a moment for one of our sponsors. Jorgensen HR believes that the employer's workforce is the single key to customer satisfaction, reputation, growth, profitability, and the ultimate success of the company. Jorgensen works to ensure that employees are engaged, well-trained and led by owners and management that are passionate about the success of their company and its employees. Jorgensen HR provides outsourced HR on an interim or permanent basis. They provide an audit of the company's HR policies, including work plans, procedures in compliance with labor laws. They provide affirmative action audits for companies that are required by law to have an annual report. They handle workplace investigations for harassment and discrimination among their HR solutions. Jorgensen HR, results-oriented, driven by passion, guided by expertise. Jorgensen can be reached at jorgensenhr.com, J-O-R-G-E-N-S-E-N-H-R.com. Well, one of the things, you know, I, I say about the work that I do and I've done, I ran a synagogue for a bunch of years then I went into fundraising on the Israeli university side of things for a lot of years. Alzheimer's tossed in there in the middle. And I think, you know, meeting great people and meeting people that have an interest in supporting causes, whatever those causes may be, and hearing their stories and their their, their life histories of how they got to where they are, just a wonderful experience. I think the best thing about what I do is I get to meet a lot of interesting people and they do a lot of good work, you know, from that end of it. I couldn't agree more. So how did you make the jump from a small $1 million Lupus LA to a, uh, what, a $40 billion, whatever it is, uh, Cedar sinai Hospital? <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because my work, when I moved to LA, I became a patient of Cedars right away. Right. At certain points, there's a lot of crossover between the Lupus LA group and the Cedars group, in particular, my doctors. So I was, uh, our family was asked to help fundraise for or or contribute funds to a lupus researcher named Caroline Jeffries that they wanted to bring over from Ireland. And so our family really got behind that and got involved. And Cedars was really terrific. I mean, that experience still is paying dividends to this day. Caroline is an incredible researcher. She's really up the game of the department. And so I found it very rewarding to participate on the Cedars side. And I've worked, you know, a lot of times with Cedars and Lupus LA to try to marry our services to their their needs, their patient needs and things like that. 
And I got, um, we made a contribution and part of that contribution was joining the board of governors. So I joined the board of governors right before my daughter Lucy was born in 2016. And I, you know, it's sort of my nature. I, I, I couldn't say no. So they asked me to chair an event or be on a committee and I sort of jumped right in and they sort of moved me through a lot of different positions over the last uh, five or six years. And much to my surprise, this year, they asked me to be the new chair of the Board of Governors. And what? how long is that position? It's uh, a two-year two year position starting this past January. So You, you, you mentioned the, the researcher the, uh, coming from Ireland to Cedars to do the work. People do not, I think, understand that in all the medical and the university world, People are recruited from other countries and other places all the time. I mean, one of the things I did with Technion, I was with Technion for seven years, was raising money to bring people from the U.S. to Israel to do research at the Technion. Yeah. Uh, My grandmother was a very big supporter of Technion uh, all growing up. So as a kid, I always knew about Technion. And, And that was a big influence, I think, in my philanthropy was watching my grandmother and my parents and our family be participatory philanthropists. And you you know just realize there's a lot of you know tangible gratification that you can get from working on these projects. And one of the interesting things about what you just said is that families are always talking about getting their kids and the next generation involved in philanthropy. And you learn from your grandparents to do that. I know that in my family, my daughter, when she was in high school, started sitting in on our conversations about where we donate money to. Mm-hmm. And then she said, well, can I make a gift also? And I said, well, sure. Where do you want to do it? And she did research and found an organization she wanted to support. Uh, and that's very important. Uh, up in the Bay Area, the Jewish Federation formed a teen foundation years ago. I don't think there's one in L.A. I don't recall them having one mm-hmm. where this teen foundation of 20 people get together. They're all high school kids and they meet monthly and they talk about how to do philanthropy and whatever. And then they uh, request for proposals out there in the world of uh Bay Area Jewish life, and then they make decisions. Uh, yeah, it's very rewarding to them. Yeah, and no, it's a big part. I think if you can get to kids early, and they they, if it's ingrained in them as a natural part of, you know, living a, a privileged or good life, I, you know, to me, you have to instill giving back. And I think that I think not only is that good for the charity world, but it's really good for their character. We're trying to do that with our two kids as much as possible, and. Um, they probably get a little charity overload, but uh, <laughs> you know, it'll balance out. You, you said your daughter was born in 216, so she's probably about six years old now. Or yeah, seven. about to be seven. Yeah. And what, how's the old the other one? How old uh, three. Three. Yeah. Okay. And they had have they seen pictures of your inside wedding uh, article or not? <laughs> my daughter probably has. I don't think we yeah. showed my son yet. It's it's yeah, I'll say that to my listeners. I was doing research on, on Adam and I know him and I, I but I don't know everything about him. And I came across this inside weddings uh, article about this lavishly beautiful, well planned wedding that he planned more than his uh, wife planned. Uh, well, yeah, she was she was busy in law school, so I, it fell on my shoulders a little bit. Ah, there you go. Um, there you but go. we had a beautiful wedding. It was really nice. And interestingly enough, we our wedding planners ended up working for Lupus LA uh, down the road, because I think that's also a big part of, you know, and, and we I used a lot of the vendors from the wedding and called in a lot of favors for philanthropy after that. 
Well, that's what we do in the philanthropic world. We look for supporters and partners and and bring them in. So uh, at Cedars, let's let's go back to that for a moment. I got a couple of questions. What is it like being the head of a major major medical center? I mean, it's a, it's different than a small organization. Well, I mean, it, yes, but the the board of governors is about nine hundred members. It's the largest uh, fundraising group for the hospital. It does give me a seat on the board of directors for two years, which that in and of itself has been really fascinating to sort of see the behind the scenes of the inner workings of the whole hospital. Right. But the board of governors specifically does targeted fundraising campaigns over a certain number of years. So I've come in in the middle of our $50 million campaign to raise money for the board of governors innovation center, which is an incredible space that we've taken in the Pacific design center. So off campus in a new part of, one of the Cedars expansion buildings. And it's all based on single cell technology and research. It's sort of the next step in the stem cell world. And I mean, it's, I, I could explain it to you poorly, but I, I won't even do that because I'll probably get it wrong. But it's, it's the tech is incredible. The, the team is incredible. And we're having an enormous amount of interest, partially because my theory is that people love to raise money for these giant steps forward in innovation. Right. And what you can really do with this technology is eventually apply it to most diseases. So we're not specifically raising money for heart disease or cancer, or it's really a big umbrella and moves across the board. And I think that gets people passionate for various reasons. But it's an exciting experience. This is it's a great group of people. You know, I have 30 people on my leadership cabinet, which is double the size of the Lupus LA board just to begin with. <laughs> and there's 900 or so Board of Governors members throughout the community, which is really an incredible amount of participation. We thank our sponsor, Hot Dog Business Growth. Hot Dog Business Growth has over 40 years of practical experience. We've developed best practices for the execution of ideas, professional growth, constructive communication, employee relations, sales strategies, including compensation, pricing, marketing, and much more, such as CEO and leadership counseling, both in the for-profit and non-profit sectors, customer service assessments and training, sales counseling for individuals, sales teams, sales management support, and pricing strategies. We focus on team synergy. Our leader, Joel Volk, has spent years building the type of team synergy that results in positive relationships and improved results. We have a team of 11 consultants working in the profit and nonprofit world. As Joel says, hot dog, it's a wonderful life. You can find us at hotdogbizgrowth.com. That's hotdogbizgrowth.com. How much money does the uh, Board of Governors raise a year? We're in about about six to seven million okay. a year. Uh, and so, you know, it fluctuates a little bit depending on- and Then you have the major project, like the one you just spoke about. Yeah, generally speaking, it's all towards that same campaign. Project. So, okay. uh, but that was a 10-year campaign and we're looking to complete it, I think probably around five or six years. I think um, one of the highlights of, of my, my life at the Technion was being able to go in and bring a donor to meet a researcher in their labs, you know, and in one case- We've got a guy who was doing stem cell, stem cell research into heart disease, and he was building, if you will, from stem cells, a heart 
that was yeah. starting to beat on its own, which is like, wow, what is, where'd that come from? Uh, yes. And and the other highlight was being able to <clears throat> take a, a, a Nobel laureate around who 2011 Nobel laureate in chemistry around to the Bay Area to meet donors. And I actually said, wow, it's great to have you in the Bay Area. When can I get you back? And he said, soon my grandchildren live in Palo Alto. And I'm going, OK, that's a good thing. Right. <laughs> you know, right, right. And, uh, no, I, I, I'm a big believer in marrying donors very closely with the efforts they're supporting. And I think I think it not only helps the donor understand how valuable their donation is, but it really helps the researchers, too, especially if the donor has a patient connection, because I really feel like some of these researchers found their way into a disease or into an area just by way of the science. And so they haven't met a lot of the people really affected by these illnesses. And to me, you see that inspiration on a scientist's face when they meet a patient and they realize, wow, this work that I'm doing, which seems sort of mammoth in, in scope, is really personal, really can affect people's lives. The impact that an individual donor can have in an area is much more prevalent in medical research than in other fields. I mean, mm -hmm. talk about the arts. I know my sister is very much involved in center theater group and this, that, but that those are not tangible accomplishments necessarily, you know, right. or the art museum or things like that. I think in the area of, of, uh, of youth education and the area of medical research, you really get your hands on and, and, and see the impact of the work right now. I'm on the board of a small nonprofit called safe parking LA where we have 10 parking lots throughout LA where people who are homeless and live in their cars can register and get help, get services and whatever. And the demand is high, but the impact on those people, we had one person, you know, evolve from uh, living in his car to living in an apartment, to getting a real job, uh, to being on our board. And you see that transition. Uh, yeah. And I, as I said to my daughter, it's only, you know, sometimes it's only a matter of a couple, three, a couple, two or three incidents where someone may be in a, and COVID proved that out, you in a well-paid position, all of a sudden the world caved in on you and now you're homeless or you right. on the edge of being homeless. And so, and research is like that too, because there are, you know, obviously COVID raised a lot of issues in the, in the world about how quickly drugs get to market and, and how quickly research can be done and testing and things like that. So I really love the kind of work that, that Cedars as a major medical center does. There are obviously major ones around the country, though I probably lean to Cedars being the best because I was born there. And you know, there must be a plaque on the wall somewhere there that I was Somewhere, born. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, no, both my kids are born there. And it's nice to see Rock really getting the recognition yeah. uh, I think they deserve. And, and the people behind it is really what's, you know, I think is the driving force. I mean, I know a lot of organizations say that, but Tom Prisolak, who's the president of Cedars, is an incredible leader. And, you know, they're really forward thinking. They're very playing for a rainy day, but don't hold back on the innovation and the, the scope of your dreams. And I think that's really an important part of the puzzle, you know, and, and they all have challenges. And, Certainly, you know, being the chairman of, of the Board of Governors has its challenges and there's lots of, you know, various issues that come up. But at the heart of it, if everybody realizes what they're working toward, that usually solves a lot of problems. Right. Now, Cedars is in partnership with Providence Cedars and Tarzana. Does that get involved in they have their own separate fundraising or is that part of the old Cedars group? 
I believe they have their own separate fundraising. There's Cedars is purchased a hospital in Marina Del Rey, which is under the Cedars umbrella. But I think the Tarzana one is much more of a partnership. Right. Yeah. Okay. I have a friend that's actually there uh, as one of the fundraising guys, and he's working as his, well, I won't say that phrase it that way, but he works a lot of hours. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how much time they put in. And uh, yeah, I mean, the volume of when you think about the fundraising team, the, the uh, on the institutional side, right, not just the volunteer side, but on the institutional side, the volume of patients that they touch that have touch points with the volume of donors that come into the hospital, the number of major gifts and grateful patients is astonishing. And they really, I think that the important part is whether you donate a hundred dollars or a hundred million dollars, there is appreciation across the board, right. uh, but that takes manpower. I mean, that's, you know, somebody has to make sure that that hundred dollar donor <clears throat> is getting the right email at the right time with the right receipt and with the right, hair and touch along the way, just like some of these larger donors. I, I once, when I ran the synagogue, I had a temple president come in and said, I don't want any errors happening, no errors in whatever. And I said, well, what error rate would be acceptable? He goes, 1%. And I said, great. So we get 10,000 gifts a year. 1% would be this many gifts. So I can make that many mistakes and not be in trouble. <laughs> yeah. But obviously you, you look for perfection. One of the things I do in my I do a lot of board governance work and a lot of board training in the area of development now. And I always say, you know, you can never touch a donor enough times to thank them for the gift. You know, mm -hmm. get the board involved, do a letter. But, you know, emails are one thing, but phone calls are still the most important thing. I mean, there are people that say, you know, don't call me to make an appointment. Just send me an email. That's right. But when you thank them, you better get on the phone and have that conversation and, and keep that high touch point. You know, sure. I think you guys do a great job of that, uh, a, a good example of that. So as we start to wrap up, what is it that I haven't asked you that I should have asked you about your work in philanthropic area? Good question. You know, I think I'm at a I'm at a transition point and it's been I, I feel like I've looked back on the last 22 years with Lucas L.A. and we just honored Dr. Wallace. And I think what I've learned from that experience is how many how many things that people go out and try to do that are all good intentions and all you know everybody I love the camaraderie of a small fundraising organization because right. the the heart that everybody puts into it is enormous and when you look back and people come and go out of an organization uh, except apparently me I don't go but um <laughs> but I but I think that everybody maintains that certain place in their heart for the organization. And you see that, you know, when we honored Dan, we had people who haven't been at a Lupus LA event in 10 years and they came back and it was like, they never left. And, and to me, I think creating an organization that's not just transactional, that's not just, we take this money and we give it to this researcher and see you later, or, you know, that we really combine not only the donor's story, but the patient story that we're helping. And I think that's something that I hope to bring forward at Cedars too, because even though it's a much bigger organization, I still believe that those individual personal touch points are what really connects you to 
the experience of giving. And my hope is that anybody who writes a check to Lupus LA or to the Board of Governors or any other charity for that matter, is that when they're writing it, there's not the, oh, I have to write this check. You know, I really want them to be proud of what they're writing that check for, why they're contributing and what the results are going to be. And to me, that charities need to be in the business of catering to their audience, almost like a customer service aspect. You really need to make sure that the donor has an experience that fulfills them. And I think that gets overlooked sometimes because the mission is so important and that, you know, trying to get that thermometer up to the right dollar sign right, is always right. so important. But I promise you, if you focus on the experience of the donor, I really believe you'll have a donor for a much longer, much more in-depth life with the organization. Well, that actually is a great statement as an ending point on philanthropy, because that really is a definition of what great philanthropy is. Mm -hmm. So when you're not doing philanthropy and not making films, what do you like to do? Uh, I like to rest because my kids are <laughs> six and three and I'm 51 or, you know, so now we, um, we, we my wife and I love to travel. Um, I we're, we're looking forward to really getting back into our uh, weekly movie nights that, uh, were taken away from us in COVID, but, um, you know, and it's about spending time with friends and family and, and, um, and we do a lot of kid activities, Re meaning some really, you know, as, as you get into this stage, it's also very interesting because there's new schools that we're attending and we're meeting lots of different parents from different schools. So, you know, the world has sort of opened up a little bit. Um, and so we're doing lots of sort of new conversations with new people so it's a very it's a well, it's a really I, fun time i have said one of my life well, more than one but one of my lifeline friends now actually i didn't meet them until my daughter was in kindergarten and we've been friends ever since so yeah you never know where that's going to happen my, yeah. my my nephew who you do know uh uh phil wallace uh is a, a proud father of a almost two-year-old and is now expecting another one Yes. And he's saying how yes. tired he is. And I said, it's only going to get worse. Uh, yes. No, he's, he, I, I feel for him for sure. But it's, I, you know, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I have no, uh, my daughter who has some autoimmune issues of her own. You really realize how this work comes full circle because right. the work that we started at Lupus LA 20 years ago ultimately is going to help her more than it helped me or the lupus patients that I came in with. And so it really hits home to know that that this work may not be, you know, an overnight success, but you're really setting up real solid change for the future. And that's going to make somebody's life so much better and so much happier. And so it, it's an exciting time. Very true. Well, thank you very much for being a guest on my show. And uh, we look forward to seeing you down the road and in your world of Cedars and, and you're ending a Lupus LA. Thank you for listening. We want to stay connected with you. Be sure to stay connected with our community by giving a like to our Facebook page and following our Instagram at paintedrock underscore advisors. Our podcast is available on all of your favorite platforms. We'll see you at our next release. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.